It is five o'clock in this dirty old town of Salford. Welcome to Wednesday. It's Thursday. Jesus, Richie. <laughs> I'm having some week. I'm like Eugene Levy in Splash. What a week I'm having. What a week I'm having. I'm not doing too bad, actually. Yes, it is indeed Thursday's programme. It is the 2nd of March, 2023. I'm the BBG. Let's do the programme. God, have I got a lot to talk about with you today. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. What an idiot I am sometimes. Anyway. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, broadcasting from a state-of-the-art studio in Salford, otherwise known as BBG Towers, this is the Richie Allen Show. Today, it's me and you. I'm just going to chat with you for the next couple of hours. I've got an absolute bag full of content. Some interesting things going on, so we'll have a chat about those. I would appreciate if you joined in via the website. My website, that is richieallen.co.uk. Leave a comment via Comment Live. If you like, you can tweet me. It's at BBG Richie. That's Twitter, at BBG Richie. But of course, priority given. I don't mean priority given. But I will be spending more time on the website comment thing than I will be spending on Twitter. But I will check in with Twitter if there's something you'd like to leave me there. Yeah, what a week I'm having. You get weeks like that, don't you? In any walk of life, regardless of what you're doing, you could be a, a lollipop lady. <laughs> Why did I think lollipop? It's been a long time since I saw or witnessed or came across a lollipop lady. Do they still exist? I know they exist. They do exist. But uh, yeah, you could be doing anything. Sometimes you have crazy weeks. This has been an eventful week for me. But uh, we soldier on, we improvise, we adapt, and we overcome the the royal we, I mean, by that. Let me start off with this. MI5, the security service, missed a significant chance to take action that may have prevented the attack at the Manchester Arena back in 2017, back in May 2017. Now, the chairman of the inquiry, a guy called Sir John Saunders, has said today that the reasons for this include a failure by an MI5 officer to act swiftly enough. Here he is, John Saunders. I have found a significant missed opportunity to take action that might have prevented the attack. It is not possible to reach any conclusion on the balance of probabilities or to any other evidential standard as to whether the attack would have been prevented. However, there was a realistic possibility that actionable intelligence could have been obtained which might have led to actions preventing the attack. The reasons for this missed opportunity included a failure by the security service, in my view, to act swiftly enough. Now, most of the inquiry, most of the hearings were done in secret because of the Official Secrets Act and nobody will ever know what was told to Saunders. By witnesses. This is the strange, weird and wonderful world of espionage of spooks and spies and MI5 and MI6. He went on to say that something needs to be done about people's access or easy access to chemicals, particularly chemicals that can be used in the bomb-making process. It is important that the regulations requiring the reporting of unusual sales of precursor chemicals 
are continually kept under review and are as stringent as possible. That is not easy to achieve and it needs to be made clear that unusual purchases need to be reported promptly. None of the purchases of precursor chemicals obtained by the brothers were reported to the authorities. That is a situation which should not have arisen. Had they been reported, it is possible that Salman Abedi could have been stopped. Right, that's Sir John Saunders, if you please, the, the chair of the inquiry into the Manchester bombing, which saw 22 people killed back in May of 2017. Now, the families, this is interesting, stay with me, stay with me. The families of the 22 who were killed, they say the conclusion is devastating, that opportunities were missed to prevent this guy, Salman Abedi, blowing himself up in the foyer of the arena on the night in question, right? Um, it, it found the inquiry that he probably had help from someone in Libya. Keep that in mind for the moment. And by finding that he probably had help from somebody in Libya, this guy, John Saunders, the chair of the inquiry, is contradicting the MI5 assessment because MI5 said he wouldn't have had any help from Libya. Saunders also says that Abedi should have been referred to the counter-extremism prevent programme. We laughed at prevent, didn't we? earlier in the week because a pastor at a college was referred to prevent because he told students that if they felt like criticising LGBT inclusivity training, they should feel, you know, brave enough to criticise it. And he was referred to prevent. I'm not making that up. So Saunders says a baby should have been referred to this counter-extremism programme. The current Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, said it's a difficult day and that she would work with MI5 and the police to study the recommendations of the reports. Now, why are we interested in this? Well, probably for a number of reasons. I'm guessing that listeners to this programme, some of them are very, very sceptical about the official version of what happened on the night in question. And I utterly respect your right to be incredibly sceptical about it. When I've been asked about this, because I reported on this back in 2017, of course, living in the city as I was at the time, I still live only a mile or so away from Manchester here in Salford. But I've spoken to an or- one particular nurse who lives in Fallowfield, who treated people on the night, and I'm satisfied that this happened or something happened in the arena that led to that uh, loss of life. I know there will be people listening to this programme who don't believe that anything ever happens, that everything is a hoax and everything is a false flag operation. But uh, I'm just putting that out there because I know they'll be screaming at me now and and I don't care. But, But I will reflect those opinions when they come to me, undoubtedly when they come to me in the next few minutes. This is what I'm interested in, very interested in. I'm interested in this guy Salman Abedi his brother Hashem Abedi, who is alleged to have and was convicted of uh, helping him carry out the attack, but more interested in their father, a guy called Ramadan Abedi. Now, David Shaler has been a recurring guest on this program for many, many years. Not lately, in fact, since the COVID thing, David Shaler hasn't been on the program. I think it's about time that we um, gave him a ring and invited him back. David is a former MI5 agent and very famously got into trouble with his agency, along with Annie Mashon, when they blew the whistle on MI5 and its affairs 
in Libya and MI6's affairs in Libya. We'll come to that in a second. But when this happened back in 2017, not long after Salman Abedi was named as the bomber, David Shaler came on to the Richie Allen show. And I suppose to use that well-worn cliche, which we don't like, but we'll use it today anyway. He broke the story. He, our show was the first place to hear this. It was later picked up by The Guardian. And that was that Salman Abedi, the man allegedly who blew himself up in the foyer and killed 22 people along with himself, or, or is he included in the 22, is he? I'm not sure. Anyway, that this guy is the son of a man called Ramadan Abedi, who used to be known as Agent Tunworth, and ba- who back in the 1990s was in the pay of MI6. In fact, MI6 gave him, Salman Abedi's father, Ramadan Abedi, gave him a lot of money to plan and to carry out an assassination of Muammar Gaddafi. This is back in 1996, right? Codename Tunworth. He was given nearly £100,000 to assassinate Gaddafi. Now, there were D-notices were placed on this information. You know what a D-notice is? It's when the press is gagged and told they can't publish this information. But David Taylor put it out there. Um, the story is known as the PT-16B affair, okay? So they failed to kill Gaddafi at the time, but the British government took Ramadan Abedi and his family and relocated them to the UK. And when this happened in 2020, uh, sorry, in 2017, the alleged bomber, Salman Abedi, was living in Wally Range in Manchester, which was very close to where we were living at the time, me and my better half. And I spoke to some people there at the time. Very interesting, this stuff, right? And David Shaler remains convinced, absolutely convinced, that Ramadan Abedi, the father of Salman Abedi, is Tunworth. Agent Tunworth, who was in the pay of MI6, who was funded to carry out an operation to kill Muammar Gaddafi back in the day. And this guy, Ramadan Abedi, founded or was a founding member of the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, otherwise known as the LIFG, which was again funded externally by uh, the secret services of this country and the French and others and the Israelis, right? You know, because they wanted Gaddafi dead. This is really interesting stuff, this. Really interesting stuff, you know. Because it opens up all manner of questions about why the security services in this country wouldn't have known a lot about Salman Abedi, why they wouldn't have known that he had travelled in Syria, and that while he was in Syria, he had allegedly met with members of the Islamic State, and that the, the Turkish intelligence agencies, or Turkish intelligence had tipped off the authorities in this country that Salman Abedi, the son of a man who was once a big MI6 asset, was uh, hanging out with crazy jihadists in Syria. The jihadists that were sent in to, to, to try anyway to destroy Syria and bring its government to its knees. They haven't failed. Excuse me, they haven't succeeded yet. So this is filthy, right? And there are legitimate questions. Did the intelligence agencies know that Salman Abedi had a bomb? Right? And did they let it happen anyway? Why would they do that? Well, there are many reasons why intelligence agencies would allow things to happen. One of the most obvious ones is budget. 
Money, moolah, spondulics, right? We need more money. Allow something happen, some atrocity, and then say, well, we don't have the resources. Possibly. I'm not saying any of this is uh, true. These, these are hypotheses, right? Was it a drill? Or did um, Salman Abedi think that he was in the favour of the intelligence agencies? Was he taking part in a drill? Was the boy himself, Salman Abedi, the alleged the alleged bomber, was he an asset of the intelligence agencies? This is filthy, you see. And God love the families of these people who've been speaking outside the, the, um, the, outside the court in Manchester today when the report was published. These are questions that they won't be contemplating because I doubt very many of, if any of these people, listen to radio programmes like this. So it's one big, murky, filthy, rotten story, isn't it? And by the way, before you scream at me, I am well aware, because I've been doing this a lot longer than you knew about any of this, by the way, Smarty McPants. Of course, the intelligence agencies of Western countries and other countries carry out attacks from time to time on civilians and then blame them on third parties to bring about any number of changes in society. Of course, September the 11th is the greatest one in my lifetime followed of course, by the 7th of July bombings uh, in 2005. Interesting. I'm sure you'll have thoughts on it. Reach out to me through richieallen.co.uk comment live. Imagine it. Now, I haven't seen this guy's report, this guy John Saunders, but I'd love to know if there's any mention of the fact that Salman Abedi's dad, Ramadan Abedi, was in the pay of MI6. Uh, and the LIFG was funded by MI6, and this guy was given £100,000 to plan and to stage the assassination of Gaddafi, the president of Libya. I wonder if there is a mention of that in the report today. David Shaler, great work. There are people listening to this programme again. They will say, Jesus Ritchie, do you trust David Shaler? Well, how can you entirely trust somebody who worked for the intelligence agencies? The answer is, do I trust David Shaler entirely? No, obviously not. He was a spook, right? And others will say, David has been a bit mad sometimes, you know, the cross-dressing and all of that. Yeah, he, he certainly has been very eccentric at times, no doubt about that. But um, on this particular issue, no reason to lie. Who was Salman Abedi really? The guy blamed for the Manchester Arena bomb. It's coming up for quarter past the hour. 22 people killed. There are people already sending me messages. It never happened, Richie. The whole thing was, was, a, was a staged drama with crisis actors. I don't believe that. But uh, I respect your right to believe whatever you want to believe. I don't believe it. Like I said, we lived across the street from a young nurse who was a listener to the Richie Allen show and had been called into work off duty to work to the infirmary to uh, cope because there were people there were a lot of people injured besides those who died and um, spoke to me about it so we'll leave that one for now I will read your comments on that when I get a chance a little bit later on in the programme as you can probably hear I'm smothering that's an old Irish adjective I'm smothering with uh, head and throat and nose but I'm here god damn it I'm here I have nowhere else to be, that's why. No, I'm here. To the leaks then, the WhatsApp leaks, the Hancock communications then, which we've been talking about this week. Isabel Oakshot, the conservative journalist, 
wrote or ghost, well she didn't ghost write, she helped Matt Hancock write his memoirs. His memoirs dealing with his experiences during the COVID pandemic and he thought that she was a friend. This guy inexplicably handed over all of his WhatsApp communications, more than 100,000 messages, to help with the memoirs. I don't buy this, but I'm an idiot, what do I know, right? Is anybody that stupid, even Matt Hancock? I don't know. So anyway, she was to use these to for context for the book. What did she do? Well, she gave them to the Telegraph, and they've been publishing publishing them uh, since early uh, in the week. And the Telegraph is drip-feeding this stuff, by the way, to a salivating, at least it appears to me they're salivating, uh, the mainstream media. So today, the latest is that Matt Hancock, when he was health secretary, tried to bypass Gavin Williamson, who was the education secretary at the time, to have schools closed back in December 2020. Williamson didn't want it to happen, but uh, Hancock did. And in these exchanges released by The Telegraph, Hancock described teaching unions as, quote, absolute arses, end quote. Gavin Williamson said they hated work. Now, Hancock said the leaks are a betrayal, a betrayal uh, by Isabel Oakeshott, and that he wouldn't say much else until the conclusion of the COVID inquiry. Hancock said the messages were released in a biased way to suit an anti-lockdown agenda. That's a direct quote. Now, Isabel Oakeshott, the journalist in question who got the messages and wrote the book with him, she went on BBC Radio 4 today to speak about it the interviewer is none other than Nick Robinson. Uh, I fully discharged my responsibilities to Matt Hancock. Together, we produced a book that made a fantastic impact. It was a book that he wanted. I well, didn't leave anything out. Responsibilities. You I, actually broke a written legal agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, not to reveal the contents. My, my responsibilities, having finished that book with him, are now to the public interest. Did the, you break, the public did you break interest, an NDA? I mean, that's a matter of public record. Okay. And did the, the Telegraph pay you? The public interest is far more the important. The, the public interest is far more important. Did the Telegraph pay you I'm for the messages? I'm a working journalist. So they did pay you for the I'm messages? I'm a working journalist. They did not pay me for the messages. I've been helping the Daily Telegraph with the investigation. You'll see that I've been writing stories for the Daily Telegraph. Just for clarity, because it is important. In other words, they didn't pay you a sum to receive the messages, I'm not going to but get, they pay I'm you for your writing. I'm not going to get into any arrangement I have as a journalist. OK, well, money is partially, arguably, a motive. Your belief that uh, Seriously, things... seriously, anyone who thinks I did... This is astonishing by Nick Robinson, who used to be the BBC's chief political correspondent. It's astounding that he is going after Oakshot. I don't have any time for Isabel Oakshot, by the way, but going after her on the line of attack that, well, did you do it for money? Well, what difference does it make if she did it for money or not? It makes no difference whatsoever. It doesn't change what is contained in the messages. And all that Nick Robinson should be concerned about is, do the messages say anything relevant? Are there any smoking guns in there? Why she did it is absolutely irrelevant. This is monumental bollocks by the BBC's flagship current affairs radio programme, the Today programme. Did this for money must be utterly insane. This is about the millions of people, every one of us in this country, that were adversely affected 
by the catastrophic decisions to lock down this country repeatedly, often on the flimsiest of evidence for political and reasons. Yet you helped Hancock write a book justifying uh, all why, those very why? decisions. Why? Why? Because I wanted to get to the truth of it. That's an interesting point. You made. You wrote a book with Hancock in, wi- in which he justified all of the things that he did. Now you're releasing all of these messages. Yeah, okay, we get that. There isn't anything really in the messages. Earlier in the week, the one that really got the media screaming was uh, an exchange between Chris Whitty, England's chief medical officer, and Hancock, where Whitty said that everybody entering care homes should be tested. Hancock seemingly agreed with that, but then later on said, no, only people being discharged from hospitals. And there was a big furore over that, okay? Right, so what about the reaction to this then today and to Isabel Oakshart herself? We'll come to that in a second because, again, what do these messages, these communications contain? Anything that is of any real interest to you and to me? No, I doubt it really. Is is the truth in there somehow? I doubt it. Midazolam in these messages, why he oversaw the purchase of stockpiles, massive stockpiles of the drug midazolam, DNRs, do not resuscitate, accounting COVID deaths, the methodology of counting a death, you know, anyone who died within 30 days of a positive test was counted as a COVID death, even if they fell under a lorry. Will any of this stuff be in the messages? No, I doubt it. Maybe I'm, I'll be proved wrong. Tomorrow, tomorrow is after all another day and presumably the Telegraph will be releasing more of this stuff tonight. But not a whisper about the really important stuff. You know, again, the midazolam. Why did people really die? COVID, whatever it is, let's say it exists, right? Let's say it exists as they tell us it does. It's a mild respiratory infection. So it should not have killed 200,000 people. In fact, it didn't. We know it didn't, right? But it shouldn't have. So why did it? What really happened to people who died? I mean, their families don't know, because in most cases they were not allowed to be even present when they died. We heard from a doctor on this programme yesterday who spoke to the mainstream media and he said he was doing incredibly bizarre and, and, and stressful things like holding up a mobile phone on FaceTime and pointing the mobile phone at somebody who was dying, unconscious but dying, right, while their relatives were at home watching it in the living room of their homes because they were not allowed to be with their loved one when their loved one passed away. So what really happened to those people? Did a mild respiratory infection kill them, or were they killed by the treatment they received? Hugely important question. A good death, question mark, Jackie Devoy. And the iconic lads. Very important this, right? I don't think we'll get anything. On, on any of that, and, and, and that's, you know, the understatement of the year. So the left and the right then, the liberal and the conservative media, taking two lines, two very different lines on this. Let's start with the conservative media. Talk TV's Mike Graham. She was, of course, according to him, right to leak the messages and that a journalist who wouldn't leak the messages doesn't have any moral courage or moral fibre, Mike Graham. Are they saying that if they were in the same position, they'd keep quiet? If they are, they have no moral compass. Exactly so. It is entirely and utterly inappropriate for any journalist, and I include in that people like Andrew Marr, uh, who last night declared that he would not have released this information. Well, if you didn't release the information uh, which the public has a right to know, 
Mr. Ma, I'm afraid uh, you don't have any right to call yourself a proper journalist because proper journalists reveal things to the people. Right. Proper journalists reveal things to the people, said Mike Graham. They don't get all cosy with cabinet ministers. They don't go to parties in Downing Street. Mike Graham has been at dozens and dozens of parties at Downing Street. Mike Graham worked for The Sun. He's a hack. He's in bed with the politicians he's criticising. He's one of them. This is really ironic stuff, this. This is hilarious, if, if, if not ironic, hilarious. You know, it's a journalist's job to, to report to the people the things they need to hear, right? They don't um, basically do the bidding of political uh, party members. They don't do the political bidding of any individual. Isabel Oakeshott, like me, is an independent journalist. When she sees a story, she goes after it. Good God, he's not an independent journalist. He's working for Talk TV. He's not a proper journalist. He said that proper journalists reveal things to the people, really. I would say COVID mRNA vaccine injuries, Mike. Is there anything of greater public interest at the moment than what the jabs are doing to people? The answer is no, in my opinion. And Mike Graham will not allow that on his programme and his bosses will not allow it on the channel he broadcasts on. Independent journalist, my arse. Independent journalist, my arse. The irony... It's our job to reveal things to the people. Well, you're not revealing the extent of the vaccine damages, Mike. None of you are. GB News has gone very quiet too. By the way, on this, if you missed yesterday's programme, ignore the first half an hour of it and then, well, don't ignore the first half an hour of it, but listen to the final hour of it where I talk about GB News and Talk TV. I think I was on to something rambling, though I probably was at the time, but do check it out. So that was the Conservative talk media today. What about the liberal talk media? Well, James O'Brien is always good for a laugh. He's LBC's mid-morning guy on the leaks and Isabel Oakshot, James O'Brien, LBC. That's the thing, isn't it, about these weird leaks? Um, this astonishing cache of details that uh, Isabel Oakshot promised not to reveal. She signed a, a legally binding non-disclosure agreement and then changed her mind. Uh... What's astonishing about them is how unastonishing they are. It's it's just confirmation for those of us who had our eyes open from the start of how absolutely useless they all were. I dread to think how many people might even still be alive if they'd at least had a semblance of competence in approaching these catastrophes. So, little dig at Oakshot for breaking the non-disclosure agreement that she had signed with Hancock and the publisher. Then he said the messages show more people would be alive if there was any competence in government. O'Brien was a lockdown hawk. Faster, harder lockdowns O'Brien was screaming for back in 2020 and 2021. Let's hear a little bit more from him. But of course, a lot of the Daily Telegraph's coverage of them is, is designed to reinflate the anti-lockdown narrative, which was driven largely by the vested interests of um, uh, uh, commercial landlords. You what now? Who? Who drove the anti-lockdown narrative But of course, again? a lot of the Daily Telegraph's coverage of them is, is designed to reinflate the anti-lockdown narrative, which... Which was driven by? Which was driven largely by the vested interests of um, uh, uh, commercial landlords. Are you shitting me? Reinflate the anti-lockdown narrative driven by commercial landlords. Are you shitting me? Maybe I'm wrong. Tell us more, oh, sainted, bearded one, about the commercial landlords. Because people not getting out and about, people not... If you make all of your money from other people's labour, the lockdowns were your worst nightmare. I think it's important to clarify this, because a lot of the coverage won't. 
if you make all of your money from other people's labor, if all of your income is, is rents or dividends or, or um, you know, payouts on share, well, that's dividends, isn't it? All of your income, if, if really your job is just owning stuff, the lockdown was a nightmare for you because for the first time in your life, the tap of money earned from other people's labor got turned down or it got turned off because people weren't going out and spending money on things from which you could just cream a little bit off the top. Domestic landlords were okay, but commercial landlords were terrified. Terrified. Commercial landlords were terrified and drove the anti-lockdown narrative, really. This dickhead must know that thousands of people run businesses from their own freeholds, right? Like, he must know that some business owners actually own their own property. The freehold. Lock, stock and barrel. Not everybody rents from a commercial landlord, like. You know, I don't know what the figures are. That'd be an interesting thing to find out. How many business owners in the country own their own premises? I've no idea, but not everybody rents from a commercial landlord. So the commercial landlords, they drove the anti-lockdown narrative. This guy, for real, listen to this. Absolutely terrified. I don't even know if they took a very big hit because these contracts would have been signed months in advance. But you know that people were realising we don't need to spend... We don't need to spend a million pounds a year on office space in central London. We can, we could get away with half that space or none of that space. Some companies, I, I think that the tidal wave of humanity will come back into the workplace because of the nature of society and who we are, but not on the scale that it was before. So it's very important when you're reading any coverage or people who describe themselves as lockdown skeptics, they're either attention-seeking idiots or attention-seeking idiots, sir. or they are shilling for big money for people whose massive incomes and massive wealth depends entirely upon the labour of other people. Yeah, binary choice again. If you are an anti-lockdown sceptic, you're either an attention-seeking idiot or you're a shill for big money. You see why this guy never interviews anybody, right? This is the funniest chat show of all time. Never seen anything like it. Mid-morning, no guests, none. Yes, he lets folks phone in, but then shouts them down and hangs up on them and boots them off when he doesn't like them. But he has never interviewed anyone in the public eye who, who he has criticised. That's astonishing that you can get away with that. Wow. Commercial landlords and attention-seeking idiots were against lockdowns. Right. What about the Barrington Declaration Scientists and Doctors? What about Carl Hennigan? Sunetra Gupta? Angus Dalgleish? Ivy League doctors. Ivy League doctors. Do you know what, dear listener? If only we'd known that as well as lecturing at Oxford University, the anti-lockdown doctors were actually moonlighting as commercial property moguls. What a useless fucking retard James O'Brien is. When he was born, the doctor turned to his mother and dug the fucking head off of her. Did you really give us that like? They've never invented anything themselves. They, they, they've never really done anything themselves. All they've done is own stuff. And they're the people, incredibly, who sponsor the worldview. And you've never done anything either. You graduated from the London School of Economics and fell into presenting radio. You're not a journalist. You're nothing, really. Just a fucking grifter. You know? Unbelievable stuff, this, isn't it? This guy's still screaming for the lockdowns and the mask wearing. Only a few weeks back, oh, flu and excess deaths in the country. It couldn't be the vaccines. It's got to be seasonal flu because seasonal flu has made a comeback. Why? Well, because flu disappeared because of the lockdown measures. Yeah, but it didn't work on COVID, the lockdown measures. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't say it worked for COVID, but it didn't work for flu. Or have I got that the other way around? But it doesn't matter. You know what I mean anyway, right? Jesus wept. God. Wow. Anywho, Molly Kingsley, us for them, she advocates for children. So on the whole issue of what happened to children in schools, 
being closed and children being forced for masks, Molly Kingsley believes is that Matt Hancock might very well have criminal liability for the things that happened to children. Criminal liability. She's in conversation with Bev Turner from GB News, so she is. Personally, I would say that some of the decisions look so outlandish and based on such a lack of evidence, one has to ask about criminal liability, don't we? Yeah, I think we really do. And and what, what transpires, Molly, is that... Um, there's a, there's a huge amount of preoccupation with, you know, what will the public think of us? And, and how will this come across to the public? A complete um, disconnect with how actually vast ways of the, of the public were feeling about the fact that children were off school. Um, and also what comes across in the messages is very much what came across in some of the behaviour of some of the politicians at the time, is that they weren't frightened of COVID. They weren't frightened of COVID in the way that the public were. When they were having parties and cheese and wine gatherings and whatever it was, uh, our own Prime Minister, of course, got a, a, a penalty notice for performing that. These guys were not scared of COVID when the public was terrified. And, and this is really important by Bev Turner, to give her some credit. This is the thing that pissed me off last year. When we had Partygate and Johnson was ultimately forced to resign as Prime Minister... People in this country, again, maybe narcissism plays some part in this, maybe selfish individualism. People went absolutely batshit crazy. Oh, I did what I was supposed to do. I, I didn't break the rules and I couldn't see my granddaddy and my granddaddy died. Oh, me, 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 me. Nobody said, well, hang on a second. Maybe the thing we should be most concerned about is the fact that they didn't give a shit about COVID-19. Why did they not give a shit about COVID-19? Maybe it's because they knew all along that COVID wasn't the big bad monster that they said it was. Remember those posters on bus shelters of the people with the green eyes like out of a horror film? The yellow eyes with the emaciated faces and the captions on the posters? Tell him that you obeyed the rules or stupid captions like that. Tell him that it's okay to meet more than uh, six people outside of your bubble and all of that bollocks. Nobody last year when Johnson was found to be having parties and others and Hancock was having knee tremblers in the corridors of Downing Street or in the corridors of the, of the, 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 the office of the Secretary of State for Health kissing um, people, Gina, whatever her name is. They all went crazy. Oh, I obeyed the rules and, and my granddaddy died of COVID and nobody at the time said, apart from us, of course, well, doesn't it show that they really knew all along that COVID was nothing? There are farts danger, more dangerous than COVID, honestly, to people. Yeah. And we're going to talk in a moment a little bit more about that because one of the things to come out of these WhatsApp message communications leaks is that the media today began to um, speak on phone-in shows, began to discuss whether lockdowns were necessary at all. Yeah, the BBC, and it threw up some very interesting comments from members of the public and from scientists alike. So back um, with more of that in a moment after I take a musical break. It's 25 minutes to the top of the hour. Lenny Kravitz then. Ah, oh, Lenny Kravitz, yeah. He's had some, he's had some women, Lenny. Some famous women, some famously beautiful women. The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, broadcasting live on Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. Tune in.com and Richie Allen 
www.radiomusicgroup.co.uk This is Fly Away. And it's over to your comments now. Hi, Davey. He says, the journalist uh, Oakshot, who leaked to the Telegraph, she had them from last year. Why now, says Davey? Good question, Davey. Another story to deflect us from Ukraine and their planning of World War Three. That is what these crazed evil people want. That's Davey. Thank you, uh, Davey. I appreciate that. Hi to Thomas, who says these files are a distraction. He agrees. They're not talking about the huge quantity of midazolam Hancock ordered or the convid death, death pathway protocols, mass murder in care homes and hospitals, all based on a, on a test not fit for purpose, says Thomas. I did mention, of course, midazolam early on. Lots of things we don't expect to see in these WhatsApp leaks, of course. Hazy says there was a Downing Street press conference. Do you remember? Hancock walked down Downing Street with a mask on. When the door was opened to him, he took off the mask while entering the building. So stupid was Hancock, he didn't realise this would be captured on camera. Very good memory. I remember that myself now that you say it. Brambo says on O'Brien he can't help himself and he can't see himself as other people can. He is the UK's greatest solipsist in that his take on reality is the only valid one. He's resistant to other views, no matter how authoritative, and uh, he's resistant to irrefutable evidence. Generally, he's an arse. Thank you for that. Brambo, you won't get an argument uh, from me. Hi to Paul. Hi to Caroline Feely. I've got to change the page here. A lot of comments coming in in the first 30-35 minutes of the programme today. Faisal says, making your money from other people's labour. You mean like Amazon, who made a massive profit from the lockdown? Excellent point, Faisal. Diane says, they're all changing their tunes now. Throw them under the bus, every damn one of them. I don't mean that metaphorically either, uh, says Diane. And Jenny says, this is what they always do. They release small-scale, largely irrelevant info and make a big thing of it. They have been doing this with the JFK assassination documents for years. They will never release anything that exposes the guilty parties at the very top. Very good point there, Jenny. Anto says, Richie, the story you're following, they found a baby. Was it the baby in your story? Um, I was going to talk a little bit about, about that later on. Yes, the, 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 the manhunt or the, the woman hunt for the aristocratic woman and her boyfriend who had a baby um, out of medical care and then went on the run. Yes, a the remains of a child have been found. They think it's the couple's baby. We might have time to talk about this in depth. Maybe not so much in depth, but a little bit uh, later on. Hi to Angela Lambert. Hi to Kiki. How can these so-called independent journalists sleep at night? I don't know the answer to that question. All I can do, and I hope you believe me, because I not it's not that I mean it. I it, It's in my bone marrow. I couldn't not bring it up. I would leave. You know, in most of my adult life, I've never had any money. And I don't, you know, we're, we're certainly not rolling in money now, the future Mrs. Allen and I, we're not. But we're pretty much debt free. But for a lot of my adult life, in my younger adult life, I didn't have any money. For a lot of my childhood, there was no money in the home. I don't know whether that's relevant at all. But I couldn't work and 
I couldn't work for the BBC, for example. I couldn't work for GB News and not talk about the evidence that... If I was given evidence that the vaccines are causing harms, I would have to talk about it. Of course I would. And I would be asking my producers to find representatives from Pfizer, from Johnson & Johnson, from, from, from Merck, from AstraZeneca. The AZ jab wasn't mRNA, so it wasn't. It was the old school jab. But I would be saying, right, there are a lot of reports out there that these jabs are causing harm to lots of people. So why don't we get a spokesperson from Pfizer, Merck, or whatever, right, Johnson & Johnson, and let's invite some of the vaccine injured on to speak. I could not do what Talk TV has done and what pretty much most of GB News has done and will do, and that is ignore the story. I don't know how they sleep at night. Maybe they don't, Kiki. This is the point. Maybe they don't. Maybe guilt is a heavy burden for some of these so-called journalists. Maybe they do carry it around with them. You know, you remember Ian Collins two and a half years ago. Um, people kept bringing up, he, he presents for Talk TV. And uh, an interesting thing happened. People kept going on there and bringing up the Richie Allen show. In fact, Peter Ebden has become a good pal uh, a good friend, uh, pal doesn't cut it really, of mine, and you know I'm not dropping names here, Peter's been on the programme, a gentleman in every sense of the word. Peter went on there and was talking about the media coverage of, or lack of coverage, of doctors who were questioning the narrative. And in the course of the conversation, Peter dropped in the Richie Allen show. And Ian Collins said to him, he said, I know Richie Allen, I know the show, he said, and it's quite good, but, but he said, you know, a lot of them, um, stuff on there that's unsubstantiated. Now, the interesting thing about that was not that he dropped, uh, that, that he said he listened or had listened at, at least once anyway to this programme. The interesting thing there is is that he must be aware then, Ian Collins, if he's ever dropped in on this programme, even for 10 minutes, he must be aware that these doctors are out there, these scientists are out there who are saying the jabs are terrible and will be terrible for a lot of people. And the more they have them, the more at risk they are. So he would know this. So as a journalist then, the natural response to that is curiosity. Jesus, uh, this Richie Allen, I, I thought this guy was a stark, raving, mad, lunatic conspiracy theorist. But in fact, the doctors he has interviewed, and not just me interviewing them, they've been interviewed by other independent content creators too. These doctors, Christ, these are reputable doctors. I should have them on my talk radio programme, but they didn't. I don't know. On some level, I hope that they carry a lot of guilt around. Because it's very simple journalism. You know, when any authority says anything, be sceptical about it. And turn a few stones over. Turn a few things upside down. See what falls out. That's your job. You know, they didn't do it during the lies about Iraq, did they? When George W. Bush was lying through his teeth about... Iraq having some involvement in September the 11th. The lying scumbag. It was obvious that Iraq had nothing to do with September the 11th. Even if you believe that Osama bin Laden did it. You know, Hussein would be the natural enemy of uh, Osama bin Laden. And we all knew that, but the media did nothing. They allowed this. Why? Simplistically, money? I, I don't know. Gabriel says, uh, will email gate lead to bigger questions? Not a peep about the important stuff. Nice to think so, but not likely, uh, says Gabriel. 
David says, Hancock is a tool, but why would he divulge the WhatsApp messages to a journalist who, A, is um, the partner of Richard Toyce, a political rival, that's right, and a critic of Hancock, and B, who works for Rupert Murdoch, the world's biggest peddler of political scandal. Something doesn't add up about the leak, and I agree with David. It makes no sense to me. Richard Toyce is the leader of the Reform Party. He's been critical of lockdowns and critical of Hancock since day one. He is in a relationship with Isabel Oakeshott. Why would Hancock use her to write the memoirs and why would he hand over every single one of the WhatsApp messages? Brilliant question. I asked it yesterday. I don't know the answer to it. Isabel came on to say that uh, that the other Isabel Oakeshott, her motive to release the messages is irrelevant. It should have no bearing on Nick Robinson whatsoever. The BBC should have no interest in that. doesn't matter. All that matters is what's in them. And um, were the government telling the truth at the time about the seriousness of the virus and, and everything else? Very good. Regarding, and then I'm, I've got to move on then, regarding the bombing at the Manchester Arena back in 2017. Neil says, a friend of mine at work, his wife was called Wendy. She was killed that day, says Neil. I know for an absolute fact that it happened. Well said, Neil. An explosion happened at the arena and it killed people. There's no doubt about that. In my opinion, and Neil knows um, through work, you know, a connection to a woman called Wendy who was killed. Why did it happen? Was it allowed to happen? Was Salman Abedi, did he believe that he was safe and that he was working for the intelligence agencies? Was he killed? Was You see, there are lots of questions. Because the intelligence agencies, the security services, have form in blowing things up and blaming other people for it in order to elicit a reaction from the public. You know? Usually these things are followed by more security, more surveillance, more infringements on civil liberties. That's what normally happens. Jesus, we went to the first concert held at the arena after it reopened, the very first one. And I remember I sent some photographs to David Icke and he put them on davidike.com. We were regular, we were so regular at the arena, me and the missus, because our musical tastes are very open. We listen to everything. So we'd go to the arena five, six, seven times a year, sometimes more, to watch concerts, right? Um, no, we're not millionaires, but we, we wouldn't be sitting front um, row all the time or, you know, sometimes back at a hall, sometimes up in the nosebleeds, whatever. We love our music, right? So we're, we're almost like part of the furniture. So you go in, you go in through Victoria Station. That's how we'd go in. You go up the escalator or you go up the steps and you're in the foyer. And we'd know people, people would you know, wave at us and what have you. So we very, you know, you get checked. You, plenty of people in yellow coats having a look at you. You might have to open your bag, whatever. When we went back after the bombing, they had airport security in there. They had X-ray security that you had to walk through. And they also had lots more yellow jacketed people and they were screaming aggressively at people to get into these lines, to empty their pockets, just like at the airport. That's what happened. And that's pretty much been the way uh, ever since, not just at the arena, but every other arena in the country. So that was one of the takeouts. They beefed up security 
and they, they began to accustom us to this level of security when going for a nice night out. That concert was Neil Diamond, I think. And I remember the being just taken aback by the bizarre um, spectacle of young men, young Asian men mostly, ironically, if, if Salman Abedi did this, screaming at little old dears who had come to watch, and I'm not patronising these women, little old dears who'd come out for a night out to see Neil Diamond. Sunday. Great crack, right? Going to sit down, what a beautiful noise, play me, right? Um, love on the rocks. Um, hello again, hello. We're going to have the night of our lives. Little old dears with their, with their handbags. They were being roared at by men, screaming at them. To get in line, open up that handbag. Mad stuff. And it's still going on. It's um, eight and a half minutes to the top of the hour. It's Thursday's Richie Allen show with, uh, surprisingly enough, me, Richie Allen. Let's talk about then today's media coverage of lockdowns themselves. Because the BBC runs a phone-in. It's about the most popular radio phone-in in national media. It goes out at 9 o'clock on BBC Radio 5 Live. It's ordinarily hosted by Nicky Campbell, but he was away today. So there was a young man there called Kesa Alam, who presented in... you got to get the minorities in there. Oh boy, you got to tick those boxes. Yeah. Nicky Campbell is out for a day. You're not going to have Maggie Smith in there. Jesus, no. It's going to be a Muslim. It's going to be an Asian. Kesa Alam. Now, to be fair, the guy could be brilliant. I don't know. But you got to tick those boxes. Got to have diversity. Anyway, so this guy did the phone-in today. And the phone-in today was about lockdown. The question was simply this. Were the lockdowns the right course of action now in hindsight and taking into consideration the WhatsApp messages of Matt Hancock? Listen to this. There are some interesting things in here. First up is Maggie. Maggie is a critical care nurse. God, she was interesting. Have a listen to this. What do you think? Did we get it right on lockdown? Absolutely not. I think that um, I think the government has a real responsibility. I think they knee-jerked for I don't know what reasons. That will hopefully come out in the future. And it is brilliant that things are coming out now. I've waited a long time for this to happen. Um, you know, the, even now they don't do the emerging evidence is not followed, it's not exposed, it's not put on to you know the um, national TVs. It's just not. It's everything so secret. I think they got it, and I think the word catastrophically wrong is absolutely the right word. And and you know the 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 trauma continues. Uh, you know, I see everyday people dying of neglect, um, of a lack of abilities to get through to GP surgeries um, the systems are under immense pressure people are dying from atrophy from loneliness from services still they're still not up and running now three years later and it's just it's ongoing and it is catastrophic and it and it was from the beginning it was the wrong thing to do they are they should have isolated the vulnerable if people wanted to you know how many lockdowns did we need to go through to be able to see that they didn't work? 
Do you not you think know, that we would have had more deaths if there were, uh, if there weren't any no, lockdowns? No, I don't. No, I absolutely don't. You know, the evidence now is that, you know, even now they're saying that 99.9% or 99.6% of people would not have been severely adversely affected from COVID. Wow. Maggie dropping the truth bombs on the BBC today, eh? 99.6% survival rate, the old COVID people dying of atrophy, people dying of loneliness now, the media keeping the secrets of the government. She gave it to this guy, didn't she? This guy standing in for Nicky Campbell. Fantastic. This gets better. He brings in a caller called Roger. Roger. We've had the vaccination since, most of us. I know two people who were anti-vaxxers, didn't believe it, thought it was a complete conspiracy, and are no longer with us. Now, no one can tell me, no one can prove how many we would have lost if we hadn't had lockdown, it's can very I, easy to, to, to look in retrospect. There, if I may, I haven't had the vaccine. I nearly lost my job in the NHS. I chose to be a critical thinker and I chose to just watch it as an emerging playing field. I chose, I was, I was actually um, redeployed as a palliative care nurse in the community, expecting a mass exodus from the hospitals um, and then, you know, put in place to, to manage these people in a district nursing team to support them at home. That, thankfully, that never happened. Um, and I chose, as a, as a critical nurse that's, you know, being taught to look at the evidence and use evidence-based practice, I watched and I monitored and I observed and I made a decision, a personal decision, to wait and see. I didn't have any risk factors, so I chose to wait and see what happened. You know, people that were told they needed it first, they were, I, you know, I refused to have okay. the vaccine when it first came out. Roger, what do you think about what about what Maggie's saying. Before we get Roger's thoughts on what Maggie's saying about the vaccine, amazing. She said, I choose to be a critical thinker. She said she was redeployed as a palliative care nurse and expected an exodus from hospitals of people who would die, but it didn't happen, she said. This lady dropping, to use that cliche, truth bombs all over the BBC. Wow. Didn't have the vaccine. I said I'd look at the playing field. Didn't need it. Didn't feel like I needed it. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get Roger's take on this. Roger's just every man, presumably. Sorry? Roger, what do you think about what Maggie's saying then? What do you have to say back? Well, as I say, I, 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 will, I take on board what she said. And it's very well critical thinking not to have it. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, how many people died? How many people died? How many people survived? How many people are still with us? We're, we're now the majority of the population are now vaccinated. Let him, let, let him make his point, Maggie, for a moment. Thank you. Go the ahead, majority Roger. of the population are now vaccinated, and to some extent, the, the position is eased. Um, now, is Roger, that because we are vaccinated, or is it because of critical thinking? Death. I don't know. Roger. Wait till we hear what Maggie says. Roger, there's 30,000 excess deaths in December. There is, there's, you know, it takes a quarter of a million people to be vaccinated. I didn't want to talk about the vaccination particularly, but it's been brought up. It takes a quarter of a million to be people to be vaccinated to avoid one hospital admission. It takes a quarter of a million people to accept an mRNA jab to avoid a single hospital admission. If you're new to this programme and you think that's bull spit, look it up. It's by their own notes, by their own paperwork. That's what they say. Quarter of a million need to be jabbed 
to avoid one person going to hospital. She's bang on. Truth bombs. One in 800 people. Wait till you hear this. One in 800 people, Maggie. What, what about one in 800 people? People have had serious Maggie, thank you for that for a moment. Simon, let's... Pre- and he, he jumps in there, does the presenter. So he might be green, he might be raw... He might be new, filling in for Nicky Campbell, but the BBC is not going to allow a critical care nurse claim that one in 800 people who received the vaccine have had a very serious adverse reaction to it. People have had serious Maggie, thank you for that for a moment. Simon, let's bring Simon... Thank you, Maggie. It reminds me of that episode of Faulty Towers when he gets the O'Reilly's to build, when he should have left Mr Stubbs do it. Wonderful. And... uh, the O'Reilly's do it, and it looks like it's done properly, but it isn't. And then Sybil comes back, and Basil is cock-a-hoop because he's gotten one over Sybil. And as he's there gloating about the fact the O'Reilly's did it, in walks Mr. Stubbs. And uh, Basil said, let's ask the opinion of a reputable builder like Mr. Stubbs. The O'Reilly's did a good job, didn't they? And then Stubbs realises that instead of using a girder, an iron girder for the door frame. They used a two-by-four. He said, that's a supporting wall. And Basil says, thank you, Mr. Stubbs. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be hearing no more from you, Mr. Stubbs, today. One hospital admission. One in 800 people. One in 800 people. Have had serious... Maggie, thank you for that for a moment. Simon, get off, Maggie. Let's bring Simon Clark, microbiologist, in here on this morning, Simon. I mean, we've heard... Producer was screaming in his ear, you see. Move on from Maggie. But strangely enough, they bring Maggie back in a moment, just after they hear from Simon Clark, who's a microbiologist from the University of Reading. We've heard a lot, heard a lot of, of things this morning about uh, the fact that if we didn't have lockdowns, it would have been proven that there would have been less deaths. And Maggie talking about the number of infections needed uh, and all this. Talk to me. Tell me what here from your perspective, what you're hearing. How accurate is this? Right. How accurate is what you've been hearing? Maggie said the critical care nurse shouldn't have had any lockdowns. She said 99.6% of people who got COVID would um, would survive it. They certainly wouldn't die from it. And uh, then she mentioned that 1 in 800 people are uh, have suffered serious adverse reactions to the jabs. She refused the jab. Critical thinker. Simon, the microbiologist, what say you? What say you, Simon? Um... I'm hearing people saying they're being critical fit thinkers. That's great. But um, if you come from a, a position that uh, that something is the case, I don't think you're being particularly critical. What? If you come from a position that something is the case, you're not being critical? What does that even mean? That's great. But um, if you come from a, a position that... Uh, that something is the case, I don't think you're being particularly critical. That's just gobbledygook. Um, I'm not sure I buy the, the, the lethality rate that was quoted to us there. It, well, it, well, you better buy the lethality rate because her figures were bang on the money. In the, the high, um, less than 1%, but that's an awful lot of people. But that's what she said, dickhead. That's exactly what she said. She said 99.6%. You said in the high, less than 1%. Yeah. Yeah, the great majority of people didn't die of COVID, as we know. We had a a virus, a transmissible virus, spreading through society three years ago, and it spreads by person-to-person contact. So if you stop that person-to-person contact, or at least reduce it, then you get less people infected, fewer deaths. 
And that's why the lockdown was put in place. Yeah, but it didn't work, though, according to the government's um, own figures and numbers. Didn't work. Anyhow, they bring back Maggie, amazingly. Maggie, I want to come back to you for a moment. So you remain with that, you know, unvaxxed, is that what you're saying? I do, yeah. Given what, God. Given what Simon has said there about... Thank God, she said. ...about... The, you know, having a vaccine helps reduce person-to-person transmission of the virus. And given it's the f- been proven that the vaccine actually did nothing at all to stop transmission. So, mm, in, I th- you know... I think a number of scientists would disagree with that. And my- No, they wouldn't. The presenter is as thick as pig shit, and pig shit is thick. By their own admission, didn't stop transmission. Why is he interrupting that to say that there's another point of view? There is no other point of view. The vaccines or the jabs did not prevent any transmission by their own admission. Microbiologists well, they would. as well. Yeah, I know they and, would. But, but I, 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 would, I, would, I would, you know, so, And given the fact that you work in a position where you are caring for those who are vulnerable, and I understand that you're saying it's a personal choice for you, but do you not think you were being selfish as towards your patients, potentially putting them at unnecessary risk? Absolutely not. I definitely do not. I didn't put anybody ever at risk. I took all the precautions that were available to me. I didn't. The vaccine is a precaution that was available to you, was it not? Well, it. It, well, it was, but then again, it wasn't. It, it was an emerging playing field, as I said earlier on. You know, this was an unproven vaccine. There was no data. Mm-hmm. There was no medium or long-term data. Okay. So, you know, I took that decision as a personal decision to take all the precautions that I could and protected my family, my patients with, okay. you know, well, Okay, care. thank you very much, Maggie, for that. Maggie in Birmingham there, quarter past nine here on Five Live. Which Get rid of Maggie now. It's uh, four minutes past the hour. It's uh, Thursday's Richie Allen show. You're listening to your BBG, live from BBG Towers in Salford. More to come today. We'll stay with that particular radio show because there was a little bit of light relief, but I'll come back to that in a minute. I'll read some of your messages now. Bollocks to Simon, says Caroline Feely. Absolutely right. What a ridiculous answer that was. Undoubtedly. Bollocks to Simon is right. Richard Kelly noticed something that I noticed. So I'll just do this. Um, I wasn't going to do it, but now that Richard brought it up, because I don't think it is the same guy. Do you remember this, dear listener? This is good. This is probably the most hilarious clip played on this programme during the course of the last three years. Uh, Matthew. Do you remember Matthew? Matthew. I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one, and it put me in hospital for another day. But I'd much rather have that than COVID. Much rather have that than COVID. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? Right. And then we have Roger this morning. We've had the vaccination since, most of us. I know two people who were anti-vaxxers, didn't believe it, thought it was a complete conspiracy, and are no longer with us. Now, no one can tell me, no one can prove how many we would have lost. Nah, it's not the same guy, is it? I don't think it is, no. It's not the same guy. It did occur to me earlier on, though. Thank you for that, Richard. You've got a pair of ears on you there, boy. So you have. Maggie was on point, says says um, somebody. And uh, props to the presenter for not jumping in too badly and letting her get through what she needed to say. Better than the uh, ordinary host, Campbell. Yeah, he shut her down, though, when she said 1 in 800 with the serious adverse events, right? We can't have that reaching the population at large. So we can't? We can't. Because uh, maybe... That might be the straw that breaks the camel's back if people realise it. 
Okie doke. Paul says the on another show today, Jeremy Vine of the BBC was talking to a couple of lapsed conspiracy theorists. It is comedy gold, says Paul. By lapsed, I mean, you mean people who who have recanted their conspiracy theorising or, 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 or uh, theories. People who have recanted and said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist anymore. I must have uh, listened to that, no doubt. Wayne says people opposed to lockdowns came from all walks of life with different beliefs about COVID. But uh, we all had one thing in common, the belief that it is abhorrent for a so-called free society to place its citizens under house arrest, tell them when they could go to work and when they couldn't, when they could go out and not go out and whom they could see and not see and whom they could and couldn't have sex with. It's a good point. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Let me scroll back. Lots of comments today. Thank you for them. Keep them coming in. It's richieallen.co.uk. Thursday's programme, seven minutes past the hour. I'm going to take another tune, have some water, and back for a little bit of light relief. Crazy, crazy nights from Kiss on the Richie Allen Show. Ten and a half minutes past six o'clock. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Now, Isabel was on to say she thought, just like Richard thought, that Roger from the BBC today was also Matthew from the BBC a couple of years ago. Just for the crack, let's do this again. I'm, I I don't think so. And even if it is the case, it doesn't imply any malfeasance on the part of the BBC. People are likely to, you know, people who phone into radio programmes, they're likely to, to continue to do it. And it's, you know, you'll hear, I've often heard people on BBC radio phone-in programmes that I'm pretty sure I heard in the not-too-distant past. But it would be funny if they were the same. But I don't think they are. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I don't think so. We've had the vaccination since, most of us. I know two people who were anti-vaxxers, didn't believe it, thought it was a complete conspiracy, and are no longer with us. Now, no one can tell me, no one can prove how many we would have lost if we hadn't had lockdown. Can it's very I, easy to, to, to look in retrospect. I haven't had the vaccine. I don't know, but maybe, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. What do you think? I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. Roger's voice is a bit deeper, isn't it? Bit of timber there. I don't know. Anyway, look, I suppose you wouldn't put it past the BBC, would you? To be using people, actors or or whatever. Maybe, I don't know. But this is a bit of light relief on the very same programme. We all know somebody, I think, who won't let go of COVID, won't let it go. You know, somebody who, for them, it isn't over, the pandemic, that, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be carrying on as normal. (laughs) <laughs> even three years later, right? And they had a guy on this very same programme this morning called Damien, and it just made me chuckle. It might not, not even make you laugh, but it made me laugh. I'm a 71-year-old pensioner who's had a history of bronchitis since I was a 12-year-old child. And I saw a doctor there who showed me the x-ray and said, every time you get bronchitis, part of the lung is damaged. And he showed me the damage on my lung. So from the age of 12, I was aware that I had to avoid these sorts of illnesses. And essentially, in this, I'm still actually in a form of lockdown, right? Because He's in a form of lockdown still. Because uh, there's only a few people I'll let into my house. Only a few people will be allowed in. Because I'm concerned about... I mean, I've been watching people. I, was, I had to go Canary Wharf last week. <laughs> and I was watching the way people are behaving. And, you know, there are people blowing their noses into tissues. Um, people, 
just sneezing straight out into... People blowing their noses into tissues, people sneezing right out. ...to public spaces, um, not wearing masks. I mean, it's almost like we've gone back to pre, uh, uh, pre-pandemic hygiene levels, which were pretty appalling anyhow. Pretty appalling anyhow, or pre-pandemic hygiene levels. People are, can you believe the cheek of people sneezing into their handkerchiefs? One of the reasons why I went into lockdown three weeks before the government did. He went into lockdown three weeks before the government did. Yeah. One of the reasons why I went into lockdown three weeks before the government did was I caught the tube back on, uh, on uh, back at, at Russia, which I've generally tried to avoid. Right, so he's on the tube at Russia. Mm. And they were just coughing on each other. Whole, people were coughing on each other. A lot of them were coughing. Guy, guy coughing on people in front of him, two feet away from him. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, no, why don't people actually, when they got these sort of illnesses, actually show a bit of consideration for the people around them? And we're back to that state. And, how, and what's that done to your life? He, and, and he went back, he went into lockdown three weeks before the government did because of that. One of the reasons why I went into lockdown three weeks before the government did was I caught the tube back. He was minding his own business on the tube, saw people coughing on each other. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into lockdown. Three weeks before the lockdown of March 2020. I, I don't get the exercise I need. Why? Why do you not get the exercise you need? <laughs> you know, because I've, I've also got arthritic hips, which are just getting worse. Arthritic hips? Um, um, but I don't get the exercise I need mm-hmm. because people are totally inconsiderate. And you, because people are inconsiderate. You can't tell where it's coming. <laughs> I had a guy, was it, I, had to, I had to catch the DLR somewhere uh, to go to, 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 mm-hmm. to a hospital. And the guy opposite me was just coughing away. Coughing away, the bastard. I, I moved downwind. So was this uh, something yeah, that was there before or has the pandemic changed the way you see other people in their gym? Were you always a nutcase, were you, Damien? No, well, germs have not been good for me since I was 12, as I told you, so I, I, I tried to be careful. I was brought up in an orphanage where was, you got everything. He was brought up in an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> He's had bronchial problems his entire life, arthritic hips, born in an orphanage. And born in an orphanage where you get everything, why? Uh, one child sneezes, 60 children end up sneezing. So, you, so you've always been quite hyper-aware like this. Damien... Hyper-fucking-chondriac, more like it. Damien, it's been really good talking to you. Let me ask you... Get him off. <laughs> get him off. One more question, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. How do you think this has affected your, your mental health? A lot of people were talking about being isolated during lockdown and as a result sin- ever since... You know, not able to socialise, not able to live, have fun. It seems to me like you're in a situation where you are still limiting contact with other people. Do you think that's not, had an not adverse really. effect? I mean, I've got a friend that, who works down in Westminster uh, for a government department, and every so often I'll go to a cafe down there and sit down and have a meal with him. Well, he wears a hazmat suit. But I am, a, I am watching the people around me, and I, I will avoid sitting anywhere close to somebody who's coughing away merrily. Yeah. Coughing away, Meredith. Damien will not let go of the pandemic. Some story that. It's uh, 17, nearly 17 minutes past six. I've got a couple more for you, I think, and then I'll call time on it today. I, I, I am looking after myself. The old voice is barely there, to be honest, at the moment. I'm struggling. I've got the diaphragm. I'm living in my diaphragm to try and speak to you today. Listen, we, we, we touched on this earlier on in the week, didn't we? The madness of P-S-H-E which is um, personal relationship education in schools. And the, the alarming information coming out of schools, namely that very young children are being asked to consider very adult themes 
you know, sex and sexual relationships, things that they really shouldn't be hearing when they're in primary school, right? We we, we all agree with that. And we heard a, an amazing story earlier on in the week where a drag queen who had taken over a, a primary school class threw a child out of the class, a drag queen now, when the child said there are only two genders. The child obviously meant there are two biological sexes and biological sex matters. I'm, I'm guessing that's what, what the child meant. But the drag queen said a lot worse than that. Really, really getting graphic and talked to the children about using a skin graft to make an artificial penis. Mad stuff this shit, right? So um, LBC Radio this morning, a guy called Matthew phoned into the breakfast programme and he said that his 11-year-old daughter came home shouting the C word. That's the word that rhymes, rhymes even with runt, right? The C word. Um, and she was taught this word in class, bizarrely. And he tells the story to LBC's Nick Ferrari, their resident obese, rude, I'm not going to say any more. I mean, they might hear it in school, but... We don't accept. We wouldn't accept that language in our home. And for them to be encouraged in school, they're coming home speaking to their six, seven, eight-year-olds, saying, "Oh, we learned about anal, and we wrote and swore at the teachers today." Let me. Can I call you Matthew? That's that's right. The he says he said that they they taught his eleven-year-old daughter about anal sex, and the teacher who did that is not. In intensive care, Matthew. Is that right, Mr. Chief? Yes, I, of course, Ma- Matthew. So, just to clarify, this was a science class. Not, not. I'm, this wouldn't justify it, by the way. But not even a sex education class. This was a science class. It, it seems it's now moved to a science class. Yes. Yeah. So, although the PC curriculum has been paused, it is now apparently now being done in in the name of science under under some sort of physical education. So, sorry, what education. curriculum was that? Was you said the, the what curriculum? You said the peel. The, the PC. So the. Um, it's basically the curriculum taken. Oh, PCSE. Or, yes. I see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And but, and just but to clarify, to science. Yeah, and Matthew, just to clarify, the teacher is, is it a male or female teacher? Do we happen to know? I believe it's a female. She then says, to, "Right, children, call out all the na- naughty. Call out all the words you know to describe either a penis or a vagina." And they all start shouting. We won't do it, but the various words yeah. that we can all think of. Yeah. Lovely. Children, I want you to start shouting out at me all the slang terms you have for the male and female genitalia. And I'll write them down. And she then writes them on a chalkboard. Yes, essentially, I, I believe they've been putting them on, on post-it notes, handing them to the teacher. Post-it notes and handing them to the teacher. The female teacher, by the way. And then the, the argument from the school is it was designed to teach them not to say, basically, do not say this, this isn't what you say. Oh, that's a brilliant exercise, that. What, that's ingenious, isn't it? Let's get a load of children to shout out sexual slang terms, terminology, as and the purpose of the exercise, well, to teach them what they shouldn't be saying. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But all they've actually done now is fill their heads with more swear words. And they're teaching them about anal sex, Matthew, which I think is a little bit more disturbing. And made a barrier from parents to teachers where we say, don't say this, and then essentially they're encouraged in school. Take her out of the class, Matthew. Educate her at home yourself if you can, man. And then they come home and they're, they're saying to the six, seven, eight-year-old um, yes. brother and, and sister. Is, is that what's happened? I'm sure your daughter's a lovely kitty, but has she mentioned it to younger siblings then, some of these words, Matthew? It, it's been mentioned, and obviously she's thinking, well, now the teachers are saying I can swear, and you're telling me I can't swear, and, and parents are again... <sighs> They don't want it, and we're, we're lost. We don't know. We can't do any more than we're doing.
Yeah, and the girl who thankfully wasn't named has probably gone back to the classroom this morning. Matthew. You dipstick, Matthew. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Matthew? Oh, Jackie Gleason, Smokey and the Bandit 2. The breathing exercises. Oh. Yeah. Would have, you know, you never know what's going to happen in life. Would love a child. Because I'm a big kid, you know. But um, how could you tolerate that? Bruce says, I've said it before and I've said it again, mankind is clinically insane. <laughs> the only debate, says Bruce, is to which or what degree, to what degree is it insane? Wonderful. Wow. Gail says, good evening. How are you doing, Gail? Gail's been in hospital. She's on the mend. I had a few people coughing and sneezing in hospital and I didn't get it, says Gail. I'm home now as of yesterday. Thank goodness. Well done. I bet you John's happy to see you, Gail. Christine says, that chap needs psychiatric help. This is Damien now, who will not let go of the pandemic. We never had a pandemic, of course. If you were that paranoid about any other part of life, you'd be, you'd be advised to seek medical help from the doctor. I say that tongue-in-cheek, says Christine. You might be sectioned. Or somebody in your family might recommend you're sectioned. Hilarious. Chris says, on those who can't let it go, I went to a coffee shop with a client last Friday and two women were sat at a table opposite each other, opposite each other, wearing masks, says Chris. <laughs> Fantastic. Richard came back on to say that he believes that banning smoking in outdoor public places might be imminent. That is a ban on smoking in outdoor places with an on-the-spot fine. Richard, that's not good enough. Why do you say that? Have you heard something? Did you read something? Please share it with us in the brief time we have left today. It doesn't sound crazy to me, Richard. It's something they might very well do. But um, they might confine it to the home. And then they might say you, you are not allowed to smoke at home if you have children. I think most people these days don't smoke at home. Am I right in saying that, smokers? Because I don't. Do most people step outside when they smoke out of consideration to their housemates or their family? Um, I would have thought so uh, these days. But Richard, you might be right. I don't know. Let us know if there's something you've heard that um, led you to, to, uh, to post that uh, today. Okie doke. I'm going to take my leave of you now. 90 minutes is enough today. Before that, though, Wendy came on to say, my granddaughters are being subjected to the same sort of things. WTF says Wendy. Well, your son or daughter, Wendy, needs to step in there and say, we're not having it. Because it is child abuse. It's psychological abuse. It's sexual abuse. I mean, some of these teachers, look, it's bound to be a small minority, but they might be getting off on this stuff, having these conversations with children. You know? Caroline says it should be a private conversation, parents and children, not in a class with embarrassed, young, impressionable children. That is what I would say to uh, Caroline. Listen, I'm back with you on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. UK time with a Sunday morning melodies, don't you know? Sunday morning melodies with the BBG on richieallen.co.uk Lovely stuff. But until then, I'll take my leave of you now. Thank you for listening to your Richie Allen Show today. 
Back on Monday at 5 o'clock with the regular show. As I've already said, I'll be with you on Sunday at 10 for Sunday Morning Melodies. I look forward to that. I always do. Between now and then, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening to the shows this week. Every one of them. That is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They're all available on podomatic.com or iTunes or Podbean or Spotify, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Until next time, it's bye from me.